0: Good evening, everybody. If we haven't been introduced, my name is David, David Guzik. I was here last Wednesday. If you weren't here, where were you last Wednesday? Because I was here. No, but I'm very happy, Pastor Rob, extended invitation for me to be here these two Wednesday nights and to spend a little bit of time in God's Word. Uh, What I spoke about last week, beginning with, was themes connected to Good Friday and Easter that I felt like I didn't have the time to talk about back then with Good Friday and Easter. And so... Talked about Pontius Pilate last uh, Wednesday night. And tonight I'm going to talk about another sort of character, a person from the, uh, uh, from Good Friday, from uh, the resurrection of Jesus. I want to talk to you tonight about Simon the Cyrenian. So if you would, please open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. I'm very pleased to see uh, our youth group here this evening. I- I don't know what kind of misbehavior they're guilty of that you force them here to be here this evening. But, you know, I'm sure that after that that's right, this will be a good. The, maybe this will set it right. and You'll be able to leave it all in the past after this. so um, Mark chapter 15, uh, we're going to take a look at verse 21. And let me pray before I begin our time in the word together here this evening. Father, I thank you. Lord, I'm really grateful anytime I can come before people who love you people with open Bibles and open hearts. And I I simply pray that you'd speak here tonight by the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I'm very aware of the fact that the very best I can do, that the smartest, funniest, most clever, uh, most eloquent message I I could bring to these people, Lord, is not enough. Lord, we need something from you tonight. So come by the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit and come and feed your sheep. And if there's any here this uh, evening who are not yet part of your flock, I pray that you'd speak to them about that very powerfully and that you'd speak to them as well. Do it in our midst, Lord, this evening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Mark chapter 15, verse 21 uh, I'm going to camp out on this verse. If you didn't bring a Bible, raise up your hand. I see we have ushers ready to hand them out. A couple over here. We're going to be taking a look really at just at two verses. Mark chapter 15, verse 21. But then also, if you kind of want to put a finger there already, in a little bit we're going to be taking a look at the gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verse 23. But let's begin at Mark 15:21. We read there. Then they compelled a certain man... Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth was found guilty before Pilate. No, I'm going to take that back. He was found innocent. He was declared not guilty. Several times Pontius Pilate said, I find no fault in him. So even though... Pilate publicly declared that Jesus was not guilty. Nevertheless, because of a lack of courage on his part, and because of political pressure put upon him by the religious leaders, Pilate sent Jesus to be crucified. And as Jesus was led away for crucifixion, he, like every victim of crucifixion, was forced to carry the beam of wood that he would be crucified upon. Now, a lot of what I'm going to share with you this evening is based on what we know from historical practices. The Romans crucified thousands upon thousands of people. They executed many people. It was a common thing. And so we know something about their circumstances. We, we don't know for certain if they applied every one of their normal practices to Jesus's crucifixion, look—we don't have a video. I know some of you might have seen the Passion of the Christ, or you've seen other movies that you know depict the crucifixion of Jesus. And I don't know—they're more or less accurate in some ways, and other ways, they're not accurate. We don't know exactly how typical Jesus's crucifixion was, but we got to assume it was fairly typical, as much as anything, because the gospel writers don't elaborate upon it. They just say he was crucified. So what were the normal Roman practices of crucifixion? Well, when the Romans crucified a criminal, they didn't just hang them upon a cross. The first thing they did was they hung a cross upon the criminal. They forced the condemned man from the place where the sentence was passed to walk to the place where he would be crucified, carrying, now, not the whole cross, That wasn't the normal Roman custom. The normal Roman custom was to take the upright portion of the cross. I guess you'd call that the vertical portion. To take the vertical portion of the cross. That would be left at the place of crucifixion. Jesus and the two thieves were crucified in the afternoon. Correct? Right? Nod your heads knowingly. Even if you don't know. Just nod your heads knowingly. Jesus and the two thieves he was crucified with were crucified in the afternoon. If you were to walk by the place of crucifixion that morning, what would you have seen? You would have seen three pillars standing in the ground. Now, maybe there were more than three pillars. Maybe there were five and they just used three of them that day. I don't know for sure, but you probably would have seen at least three pillars in the ground. And what the criminals carried to the place of execution was the horizontal beam of the cross. Now, that horizontal beam would be carried by the criminal from the place where the sentence was passed to the place of crucifixion, but they didn't take the most direct route. They, you know, they didn't punch it in on, on their map program and say, okay, this absolute, the shortest route to go from here to there, let's do it. No, no, no. They would take a winding route through the streets, a block here, a street there. They would make a winding procession. Why? Because of the Romans, it was very important to make crucifixion as public as possible. And they would read like a, they would lead it like a procession. In a strange way, it would be like a parade. It would be a sick and twisted parade, but it was something like a parade. Out in front would be a Roman centurion, probably on a horse. Beside him would be a Roman soldier calling, and he would call out the crime of the condemned man. And then after that would come the condemned man. He would be carrying the horizontal beam of the cross. And that might weigh a couple hundred pounds. It could weigh, let's say 75 to 125 pounds. That's what most people think. We have no way of knowing exactly how much the beam that Jesus carried was. We just don't know. But just figure somewhere between 75 and 125 pounds. Now, often... Their hands were tied to the cross. So you can picture that, can't you? There's a big beam across the shoulder. There's a man and his hands are tied around the cross. And then around his neck was a piece of wood with a rope. And it was written on the piece of wood, his name and the crime. Do you remember what Pilate commanded? Be written on the piece of wood that was associated with Jesus' crucifixion? It was written... Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And it must've been a fairly large piece of wood because Pilate commanded that it be written in Greek, in Latin, and in Hebrew. Now they would use abbreviations and such, but even so, even with accounting for the abbreviations, it it was a pretty good plank of wood. And by the way, when they got to the place place of crucifixion, what did they do with that piece of wood? They nailed it to the top of the cross. So here you are, Jesus arms tied around the horizontal beam of the cross, carrying it along the way around his neck. There, there's, there's people shouting out the, the what his crime was the, the Roman soldiers and, and there's a centurion. And I don't know how many people were in the detachment that were assigned to crucifixion detail. Well, what do you guess? Five, six, seven? I don't know. Something like that. They make their way through the streets, sort of surrounding Jesus as he carries this up Now, What do you think the reaction is, as that winds through the neighborhoods of Jerusalem, which is crowded with visitors for Passover? Not only do you have the normal population of Jerusalem, but you have thousands upon thousands of visitors because it's Passover time. Do you think that everybody sees a procession coming down the street and they go, oh man, I don't want to see that. Let's get inside the house. Are you kidding me? You wouldn't pass that up. The streets are crowded with onlookers. Again, it's like a parade, but a sick, twisted, perverted parade almost. Here they come walking in the street and everybody wants to look. Everybody wants to see this. This doesn't happen every day, but it probably happened every couple months. They make their way through. Oh, look at the guy. Look at what's going to happen to him. Look what's next. Look what's happening to him. Oh, I'm glad that's not me. That guy's going to die. He's going to die today. Listen, if you saw a guy walking down your street, carrying a piece of wood, and you knew he was going to be nailed to the cross that afternoon, wouldn't you want to take a look? That's how it is. That's the atmosphere. Now, as they make their way around, verse 21, it says, they compelled a certain man to carry the cross. In other words, the Romans forced one of these onlookers. Can you picture the scene? The streets are crowded with onlookers, people stretching to get a look. Let me see, let me see. I want to see this guy. And in the crowd, there's one man and the Roman soldier looks out and he sees, first of all, Jesus collapse under the weight of the cross. Now, this was a problem if you were the Romans. Here was the problem is, first of all, you have beaten this man almost to death. I'm not going to get into all the details, but before a person went to the cross, they were beaten on their back with a very vicious kind of whip. It, It would be worse than brass knuckles getting beat up. There were many men who died just from the whipping that they endured. But the Romans didn't really like that. They wanted people to live till they made it to the cross. Because you got to get in your mind. If you're a Roman, the cross is advertising. The the cross lets the message out. It was, I I don't mean to sound stupid about this. It may sound stupid. I'll just give it a first. It's young people here. I'm trying to connect with the young people. It was social media, wasn't it? I I mean, a crucified man screaming in agony on a cross With his name and the crime up above, everybody knows, if I do that, I could end up the same way. They wanted the criminals to make it alive to the cross. If the guy died before they made it to the cross, it's not a winning proposition for the Romans. So, when the Roman soldier sees Jesus collapse under the beam... He's walking. I don't know if he trips. I don't know if he stumbles. I don't know if he just can't bear it anymore. But when he collapses to the ground for some reason or another, and he's struggling to get up, I mean, you can picture all this in your mind, can't you? The Roman soldier goes, he may not make it. I need him to make it. I don't know. If you want to get a little crazy, you can can think something in the Roman centurion's mind. He's thinking, you know, a month ago, I crucified a guy and, and they never, he never made it to the cross. And my boss was mad with me. He said, you got to keep him alive till you get to the place of crucifixion. So the Roman centurion says, okay, I'm not going to let this guy die on the way there. I need somebody to carry the cross. He's looking out through the cross and his eyes lock on one guy. And he goes, you, you get over here. Look at the word right there in verse 21. They compelled a certain man. Was this an option? Did the Roman soldiers stop? Hey, I'm looking for a volunteer. Any volunteers here? Hey, anybody want to help a guy out? Help this guy out. Does anybody want to help him out? None of that, my friends. They compelled a certain man. You see, when Jesus fell under the weight of that cross, I want you to understand something. There was no Roman who was going to help him carry it. Why didn't one of the soldiers pick it up? Why didn't the centurion say to the soldier right beside him, hey, you, do it. You're under my command. Pick up that cross and do it. Are you kidding me? That Roman centurion, if he dared do that, by the way, I mean, look, this was the military. The soldier would have had to do it if his commanding officer told him to do it. But can you imagine how hated that centurion would be by every Roman soldier? That centurion, his name would be mud. They'd be like, what? You made a fellow Roman soldier do what? Carry a cross? That's one of the most humiliating things a man can do. No, 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 there was no Roman who was going to carry that cross. The centurion scans the crowd looking for somebody that he can make carry the cross. Now, he's scanning the crowd, and who does he see? First of all, he sees people that he guesses. I mean, he's trying to figure this out. He's looking people, well, local, 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 all people from Jerusalem, local. Then he sees one guy who sticks out. Now, this man was from North Africa. Maybe he was darker. Maybe he was dressed different. When I say he was from North Africa, he's from today, what we would call modern day Libya. That's where he's from. Now, the people of Libya, at least the native people of that time, they're not, they they weren't Negro people. They they weren't black. But they might've had a darker complexion or definitely they might've dressed a little bit different. Whatever it is, he scans the crowd and looks and goes, that guy's from out of town. That's the one. You, you're the guy. I don't want to get in trouble with the locals. I'm certainly not going to make a Roman carry it. You, you're from out of town. You're the perfect guy. Now, Simon was a Cyrenian from the north coast of Africa. It was about 800 miles from his hometown to Jerusalem. Now, it wasn't a huge deal because you would sail across the Mediterranean Sea. Most of that 800 miles was done on a ship, but still, it was a long and expensive journey. I like to speculate, and please, I'm just speculating, but I like to speculate that this was a very special occasion for Simon, that he didn't come to Jerusalem every Passover. I mean, after all, it was expensive. It was a long trip. He was not required to come to Jerusalem every Passover because the law said that if you lived within a certain distance of Jerusalem, then you were required to come to the three major feasts, which were uh, Passover, Feast of Tabernacles, and help me out. uh, Pentecost, Pentecost, those three. That was just if you lived within a certain distance. If you lived a further distance away, you weren't required. You were required to go there once in your life if you could. I'm imagining, and look, I'm just admitting, I'm just imagining that Simon the Cyrene was a -a once-in-a-lifetime guy. This was a trip that he had saved for his entire life. And probably, you'll see why later, probably he brought his two sons with him, maybe his whole family. Can you picture this guy saving money for years? I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to spend Passover in Jerusalem. This is going to be the greatest vacation of my life. I'm going to see the temple. I'm going to be there when they sacrifice the animals. I'm going to draw close to God. This is going to be a spiritual experience. This is going to be the most wonderful thing. I'm going to get close to God when I go to Jerusalem for the Passover. And he saves his money. And he goes. And what happens? Because this is the world's worst vacation. Here I am just walking on the street. I see this commotion. I see this bloody, disgusting man with a crown of thorns pressed upon his head, his back torn open by a whip, his hands tied around a cross, collapsed in the street. I fight my way through the crowd to look at it and go, wow, this is terrible. Look at this thing. And all of a sudden, a Roman centurion's is pointing at me and goes, you carry that cross. Eyes of Simon the Cyrenian must have burned with hatred towards that centurion. You are ruining my whole vacation. Never in a million years did I think that I was going to come to Jerusalem and have this happen to me. I have to carry the blood smeared, disgusting instrument of, of execution for this criminal. So he did. He didn't do it because he volunteered. He went close. He did not have a choice. They compelled him to bear his cross. I need to say something I think is very important here. This will turn out to be the greatest blessing of this man's life. When he's old and drawing close to his death, he looks back and he says, there was never a greater moment in my life than when I took the cross from the hands of that man who was already almost dead on the street. And he looked into my eyes and I put it on my shoulder and I followed him to the place of execution. Now, this is what I'm trying to get at. He didn't have a choice. He was utterly compelled in the matter. There was no choice. And it was humiliating and there was nothing happy about that moment. But you know what? God often brings the greatest blessings into our life through things that we are compelled to do. So often we think that the real key to our happiness is having as many choices as possible and acting upon those choices. And listen, I'm not saying that this man chose the cross or that he could have chosen the cross or anything. No, that was just out of the picture for him. Listen, what I'm just saying is just because something is compelled upon you, something, something is forced upon you, don't lose sight for a minute that that thing might turn out to be the greatest blessing you have ever experienced in your life. Even if it doesn't feel like it at all at the moment, I get that. I get how it'd be, are you, never in a thousand years did I want this. Never would I have asked it. Never did I expect it. But God is blessing through something that I was compelled to do. Now, keep your finger there, but turn over to Luke chapter nine, verse 23. Luke chapter nine, verse 23. Simon was compelled to carry a cross and follow Jesus up to the place of crucifixion. Look at Luke chapter nine, verse 23. Then he said to them all, does anybody know who the he is there in verse 23? Anybody? Right? You guys been to Sunday school class enough if you don't know the answer, the answer is Jesus, always, okay. Jesus said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Do you want to know what it means to take up your cross daily and follow after Jesus? The first thing I want you to know is God has given us a living example of that in the scriptures. Is not Simon the Cyrenian a living example of what that is? Totally. He's a man who literally had to take up his cross and follow Jesus to the place of execution. He was compelled to do it. There wasn't much choice about it. wasn't any choice about it. But he was compelled to do it. So Jesus says, I'm saying this to you all. If you want to be my disciple, if you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, this is one of the things. Jesus isn't saying this is everything, but it's one of the things that you have to do. This is part of the mentality that you want to have. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Now, when Jesus said those words, everybody knew what he meant. Because everybody had probably seen one of these processions where a man is carrying his cross on the way to execution. You see, the cross wasn't about jewelry. It wasn't about religious ceremonies. It wasn't about traditions. It wasn't about spiritual feelings. The cross was a way to execute people. Carrying a cross always led to death on a cross. I, I, I'm, I know this will sound funny, but I'm not trying to be flippant when I say, nobody carried a cross for a workout. Hey, it's the exciting new workout that's sweeping the Roman world. Cross-carrying you know, put a hundred pound piece of lumber on your thing and carry it through the streets. It's the new form of, no, I mean, it's just foolish and even crazy to talk on those terms because people were disgusted by the cross. The Romans said this, the Romans said that it wasn't polite to talk about the cross in proper company. In other words, if you were at a dinner party and somebody said, say, Kai, you know what I saw the other day? I saw a guy carrying a cross. I go, I can't believe you're bringing that up at our dinner party. I can't believe you're doing that. We don't talk about such things. Let, let's change the conversation, please. Now, the cross was nothing but an unrelenting instrument of torture, death, and humiliation. It wasn't just about killing people. When the Romans just wanted to kill somebody, they just cut off their head. But when they wanted to torture them, when they wanted to humiliate them, they put them on a cross and first they made them carry it. Now, in the real life crosses of the Roman world, nobody took them up. Look at verse 23 again. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. The phrasing that Jesus uses implies something voluntary. In the real Roman world, nobody voluntarily took up a cross. You didn't do it voluntarily. You did it because you were forced to do it. Jesus was forced to do it. Simon the Cyrenian was forced to do it. But Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, you need to choose to take up the cross in a spiritual way. Now, what do I mean by a spiritual way? Listen, it's obvious Jesus is speaking in a spiritual metaphor here. I mean, if he wasn't, then honestly, we should just go out and start carrying pieces of wood. But how do we know that Jesus was speaking in that for? Well, there's several ways, but I'll tell you one of the most notable ways. Look at what he says. How often does he say you should carry the cross daily in the Roman world? Nobody carried a cross daily. You did it once. You did it once and then you were dead. Nobody was a repeat carrier of a cross. But Jesus specifically added that word daily to show us this is something we deal with our entire life, but also simply to show us I'm speaking in a metaphor. I'm speaking in a word picture. Now, we choose to take up our cross and follow Jesus. You know what we do not choose? We do not choose our particular cross. In other words, it's not like God says, okay, well, what would you like your cross to be? Um, would you like it to be some kind of physical affliction? Would you like it to be some kind of mental affliction? Would you like it to be some kind of weakness of character, some relationship problem? On and on and on. I mean, you could just go on and on. No, no, no. We are allowed to choose whether or not we will be cross bearers. But we're not allowed to pick our particular cross. That is compelled upon us. Now, I want you to know something else about verse 23. It says very plainly here, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Jesus put two things on equal level. Deny yourself and take up your cross daily. Matter of fact, that's what it means to take up your cross is to deny yourself. The cross isn't about self-promotion. It's not about self-affirmation. If you know anything when you carry a cross, you know this. I can't save myself. I'm going to die. That's it. A human nature. or, Or maybe I'll just speak more personally. David nature. Okay. Me being David. David nature wants to indulge self. It does not want to deny self. Death to self is always terrible. We make a huge mistake when we think it might be a mild experience. Death to self is the radical command of the Christian life. To take up your cross meant one thing. You were going to certain death and your only hope was in resurrection power. Friends, do you know what it feels like? to die to self, it feels like you're dying. And that's terrible. There's no two ways around it. Now, I I, I feel like I need to pause right here, not because I'm done, but I need to pause kind of midway here through the message and, and just caution something here. Death to self is an essential component of being a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you are not willing to die to self, you can't be his follower. Isn't that what Jesus says here in in Luke chapter nine, verse 23? But please understand this. Death to self is not, not, N-O-T, not. Death to self is not, The goal of the Christian life. The goal of the Christian life is not to leave you dead. The goal of the Christian life is to fill you with resurrection power. But here's the point. You can only have resurrection power if you die first. That's what it takes. So listen, you can tell I'm emphasizing the idea of dying to self because I think Simon the Cyrenian illustrates it perfectly. But I don't want anybody to think that death to self is the goal. Death to self is the path to resurrection, life, and power. And that's what God wants you and I to live in. But here's the thing. You will never know resurrection, life, and power in your life. Until you know what it means to be crucified with Christ. To die to self. To say this area of my life where I I would like to be self-indulgent and self-satisfying. Jesus, I will lay down before your throne. Now, let me take the rest of my time just to make a few points about how Simon was compelled to the cross. You can turn back to Mark fifteen uh, twenty-one there if you want to. How was Simon compelled to the cross? Well, first of all, Simon was compelled to the cross as he sought God. Why was he even in Jerusalem? He was in Jerusalem because he was seeking God. He was there at Passover. He was compelled to carry the cross as he was seeking God. Your cross may come to you as you're seeking God. You're like, God, God. Here I am seeking you. I'm loving you. I've given myself the new dedication to you. And then this cross comes into my life. What's going on? God says, yeah, you were seeking me. This is the pathway for you to experience more of me. No, God, I just wanted to be with rainbows and unicorns and things like that. Couldn't it be like that? God says, no, you don't understand my kingdom at all. You don't understand my kingdom. I really do have supernatural power to fill you with and love to pour out upon you. But it comes through the way of the cross. Secondly, Simon was compelled to the cross when another Simon should have carried the cross. What do I mean by that? All right. um, Was the Simon, Simon the Cyrene, was he one of Jesus' disciples? No, no, he was not. Okay, good. I got a good no. He was not one of the disciples. Was there one of Jesus's disciples named Simon? Yes. Yes. Simon Peter. Did not Simon Peter say something along these lines? Lord, even if everybody else forsakes you, I will never forsake you. Jesus, I'm right there with you. Man, you and me like this to the very end. Should not it have been Peter who was right next to Jesus saying, I'll carry it. Mr. Centurion, this man can't carry anymore. Let me carry it. Should that not have been Peter sticking close to Jesus to the very end? Where was Peter? Man, he was in a panic room in a safe house in the witness protection program. He was, he fled for the Hills. He was nowhere around. I just find it fascinating that God said, you know what? Um, I'll pick another Simon to come and bear the cross. Third, Simon was compelled to the cross by a surprise. Y- y- you know what I like? Look at the phrase in verse 21 of Mark chapter 15, where it says this, they compelled a certain man, Simon of Cyrene the father of Alexander Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear the cross. He's just passing by. Whistling a tune, walking through Jerusalem, I'm here in Jerusalem, it's Passover time, this is the best vacation ever, how's this, oh, what's this going on over here? It came as a complete surprise, he never expected this He's just trying to make his way through the crowded streets of Jerusalem. When he sees this procession led by a Roman soldier crying out the name, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, that got his attention. But when he saw the condemned man, his heart broke. In my mind's eye, Simon saw it all just in a moment as he saw the face of Jesus. He saw, he saw his purity and his innocence. He saw his righteousness and their injustice. He saw the cold Roman soldiers. He saw the weeping daughters of Jerusalem standing by. He saw Jesus' strength and Jesus' weakness all at the same time. He saw him stumble and fall under the weight of the cross. And at that moment, He saw the centurion and the centurion saw him. And then centurion didn't want that criminal to die on the way to the cross. So he goes, you, here's your surprise of the day. You must carry that cross. Can you imagine what a shock that was to Simon the Cyrenian? The cross that God ordains for you to carry may come as a complete surprise. You know, sometimes I feel like I could bear anything with God for God. If he gave me some notice, you know, God, let me prepare myself for this. Give me some notice on this one and that. But you know what? I I suppose sometimes there's, you know, warning signs other times. Absolutely not. You don't know at all until it's upon you. That's how it was for Simon the Cyrenian. Here's another fact. Simon was compelled to the cross because he was near Jesus. I mean, after all, if he was far back in the crowd, the centurion would have never seen him. It was the fact that he pressed his way through and he wanted to see what was going on. And he was somewhere near Jesus. It was because he was near Jesus that he was picked. Friends, your cross may very well come to you as you draw near to Jesus. It's not a sign of God's anger. It's probably, your cross is probably an answer to prayer. I know what some people would say. They would say, David, I never prayed for this. Never. I never (laughs) prayed for this. And I want to say, no, you probably did. You probably did. He said, When did I pray for this? Do you remember that time when you prayed? You prayed, Lord Jesus, whatever it takes, I just want to be closer to you. (laughs) You meant that. And let me say, that's not a bad prayer to pray. I think that's a very God honoring (laughs) prayer to pray. But don't blame God if he takes it as serious from you. And God says, I know, I know that you will feel like this will kill you. It will not. Matter of fact, you will see my resurrection life in this and you will know me better than ever. I am answering your prayer. It's because you've drawn near to me. Matter of fact, I think it's fascinating that Simon not only did not choose the cross that he was to carry, but an enemy chose it for him. It would be one thing if your friends could choose your crosses for you. But no, sometimes at least to human appearance, it's your enemy. He wasn't a volunteer. This wasn't a volunteer kind of thing. As I said before, the centurion didn't ask, who wants to help this poor man with the cross? And it wasn't a priest. It wasn't a religious leader among the Jews who told Simon to take up that cross. It wasn't the high priest who came along and said, this poor man can't do it. Brother, would you please help him? It wasn't that at all was an hated enemy of the Jewish people, a Roman centurion who said, you do it and do it now. And often we would be fined if we could only embrace our cross as some kind of noble volunteer, but our cross is usually pressed upon us. And sometimes it comes to us from somebody who seems like an enemy. Simon was compelled to the cross And he probably resented it. Do do you resent a cross that God has placed in your life right now? It's okay. Simon did. Do you think, does anybody in this room think Simon said, oh yes, boy, this is my opportunity to do a good deed for the day. Are you kidding me? Carrying a cross was not on his bucket list. His first reaction was probably disgust. But I think, I can't prove it, but I think that his heart warmed to the job. When he looked at Jesus, he saw someone different and it made sympathy and compassion rise from within him. But his first reaction was probably disgust and resentment. You may resent your cross right now. That's a logical reaction. But just remember what dying to self feels like. It feels like dying. So get ready to move beyond that. Matter of fact, Simon was compelled to carry this cross when few people cared and most people probably enjoyed the spectacle. What do I mean by that? Friends, picture the scene in your mind. The streets are crowded, aren't they? What do you think the crowd thought when Simon was compelled to carry the cross? Do you think the crowd said, hey, Centurion, you can't do that. Are you kidding me? Do do you think the crowd said, oh, poor man, he has to do it? I don't think so at all. I know how crowds react. The crowd probably laughed. Oh, look at that. The out-of-towner. The out-of-towner guy, he has to carry the cross. And you know what? People would laugh about it. You know why they would laugh? Because they'd laugh because they're happy it's not them. Sympathy from the crowd? Forget it. You don't have any, Simon. They probably thought it was great fun that an outsider, a foreigner, was compelled to take part in this torture. Nobody said, oh, poor Simon. They were happy that it wasn't them. Here's the point. Don't be surprised when others don't understand Or don't sympathize with you with what you go through in the cross that you have to bear. It may just be something that Jesus jealously guards in your life. It may be something that Jesus says, my dear child, you and I are going to deal with this together. You're going to get very little understanding or sympathy from other people. And not because they don't like you. But because I have appointed that you and I are going to deal directly on this. It may be that kind of situation. I would also say that Simon was compelled to carry the cross all the way to the place of death. He didn't do it just for a couple of blocks and then hand it off to somebody else. This wasn't a relay race. He carried it all the way to Golgotha where Jesus would be crucified. And for us We carry our cross all the way to Calvary in both identifying with Jesus in his death and resurrection. This isn't something that we get over. Nobody in this room can say, well, you know what? Um, Dying to self, carrying to us. Okay, I did that in my Christian life. Now on to the next thing. Isn't there a real sense? in which our Christian life is always learning in another aspect how to die to self and live unto Jesus. Die to self, live unto Jesus. It's not something we get over. It's something we continually experience. But then Simon was compelled to the cross with a very blessed result. What do I mean about a blessed result? Well, listen. It brought him into association with Jesus. Folks, he's written into the book. You imagine that? You, you want to know who Simon is when you get to heaven? Simon's the guy that Mark 15:21. Well what are you talking about? Because just look it up, Mark 15:21. Happy to meet you. You're Simon? Yeah, Mark 15:21. I mean, he, he is associated with Jesus for all of eternity in a precious way. That cross he was compelled to, it put him right in the steps of Jesus, literally. He walked in the blood that dripped from Jesus as he followed him to Golgotha. And anything that puts us in the footsteps of Jesus is a good thing. Matter of fact, you could say that the compelled cross made him a co-laborer with Jesus. Again, we're not trying to sound flippant, but to me, it puts a little smile on my face to see Simon up in heaven with Jesus go, "Yeah, you know that cross we carried that together, didn't we? You you let me share in your work, Jesus. I'm so happy I could share in it." And that cross that he was compelled to carry, it brought him near the face of Jesus. Again, look, I I wasn't there, but when I read the Bible, it's like a movie that runs in my head. I hope it's like that for you. And if I'm making a movie about this, if I'm directing this shot, I know exactly how I do it. Maybe I should go back and look at some old movies to see how they characterize it because I know how I'd shoot it. As Simon bends down to pick up the cross, he goes and he turns and he's this close to the face of Jesus. And he looks into that face. He looks into those eyes And he sees something that he has never seen before. And he doesn't appreciate it at the moment. But later on, he realizes if having to carry that cross brought me that close to the face of God, that's worth everything. It's worth everything. And the compelled cross brought his family to jesus what what are you talking about no no no. look at it there in verse 21 look at it there then they compelled a certain man simon a cyrenian the father of alexander and rufus what why does luke throw that or mark throw that in there who cares Who, who his kid's name were no 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 if you do a little word search right you know what it is you know, in the old days, we would say, look up in a concordance, but nobody used a concordance any day. You do a little word search on a Bible program. Mm-hmm. Look up Rufus, look up Alexander. You will see that these were two young men in the early church. His sons were probably, almost certainly, leaders in the early church. And that's why Mark mentioned, go, you guys know Alexander and Rufus. Well, this was their dad. And they go, oh, no way. Him, him, yeah, him. Those two guys that you know, Alexander Rufus, leaders in the early church. Their dad was the guy who did this. Do you realize that through being compelled to carry a cross, he brought his family to Jesus? And to me, it's a very powerful picture. You know, I think about it. I think about it because uh, my generation getting on in years We think a lot about how to pass on the baton, how to pass on the torch to the next generation. Let me tell you, the gospel goes from one generation to another because that older generation was willing to carry the cross. That's what happened with Simon. It got passed down to his kids and then on from there. So listen, um, God calls us to bear the cross today. But here's the point. Again, I want to conclude with this. Being compelled to carry the cross, it isn't the end. God's destiny for you is to be a crown wearer. It is, you're destined to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. He means for every one of you to be a crown wearer. But here's the truth of the matter. There are no crown wearers who were not first cross bearers. That's just how it goes. And if you want the crown without the cross, it just doesn't work. But the cross is just the prelude to the crown. Don't get stuck there follow it through to resurrection life and the crown that God has for you and for I let me pray and then we'll take any questions that we might have here this evening father in heaven I think about these precious people of yours Lord and how patiently they listen and I just simply ask God um, especially that you would be near now to any especially hurting hearts. Lord, maybe there's uh, some people tonight who you've spoken to them about a different perspective on their life and maybe upon some of the difficulties that they've endured or are enduring right now at this moment. Jesus, I thank you that you've appointed us to be crown wearers. I pray that we would have a new surrender, a fresh surrender unto you. That whatever cross we are compelled to bear, that we would truly bear it as men and women of God. And that it would bring us very close to the face of Jesus. I pray this Lord in your name. Amen.